It's Minnesota Now. I'm Kathy Worzer. The second half of a monster winter storm is on its way. We'll get the details from Paul Hutner. And two big bills are on their way to the governor's desk. One allows more people to get driver's licenses, and one expands voting rights to more Minnesotans. Well, the latest coming up. Many school districts are either online this week or closed. It's a decision that's bound to make someone unhappy. We'll talk with the superintendent about trying to read the weather tea leaves and make that hard call. Minneapolis-based artist Joe Davis is having a breakout moment. We'll hear about his new book, new music, and upcoming concert. And it was 43 years ago today the U.S. men's hockey team made history with the miracle on ice. One player from that team talks about what it was like to be a part of history. All that and more right after the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. President Biden is heading back to the United States after a whirlwind visit to Poland and Ukraine. NPR's Asma Khalid reports Biden made the trip to reaffirm the U.S. commitment to NATO and the war in Ukraine. Biden met with the leaders of the Bucharest Nine before flying home. This is a group of countries on the eastern flank of NATO that banded together in 2015 following Russia's annexation of Crimea the year prior. As NATO's eastern flank... You're on the front lines of our collective defense, and you know better than anyone what's at stake in this conflict. Biden spoke about the strength of NATO in the face of Russian aggression. Separately, when Biden was asked about Russian President Vladimir Putin's move to suspend participation in the last remaining nuclear weapons treaty between the U.S. and Russia, he called it a big mistake. Asma Khalid, NPR News. An unusual daytime raid by the Israeli military killed at least 10 Palestinians in the crowded city of Nablus, according to Palestinian officials, who said scores more were injured, including at least six seriously. Among the dead were reportedly militants, along with a 72-year-old man and a 16-year-old boy. Israel said it killed three militants with the Lion's Den militant group who had committed attacks on Israelis in the occupied West Bank and were planning more. It said its troops came under fire. There has been ongoing violence in the Israeli-occupied West Bank for months. Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro, a Democrat, is sharply criticizing Norfolk's Southern Railway over its response in the aftermath of a toxic chemical accident involving a derailed train in an Ohio town bordering Pennsylvania. He says Norfolk Southern has failed to be transparent. They were really unwilling to share their modeling information and accurate information that would have made it easier for us uh, to make the decisions in the immediate aftermath of the derailment. Federal regulators are spearheading the cleanup of East Palestine, Ohio. The head of the EPA says Norfolk Southern will pay for it. Extreme winter weather is forecast for millions of people across the United States. NPR's Kristen Wright reports the National Weather Service is calling us a coast-to-coast massive winter storm. Forecasters are warning people in over half of the United States of heavy snow and ice, bitter wind chills, and freezing rain. There's snow in lower elevations of California that don't typically get it, and snow moving across the west into the plains. Blizzard warnings are posted in the upper Midwest. Minnesota authorized the National Guard. Frank Pereira with the National Weather Service says the state could break records. We're looking at potentially historic three-day totals that will bring widespread accumulations of heavy snow with some blowing and drifting. The Northeast is also expecting significant snow, while it could feel more like June in the Ohio Valley and Mid-Atlantic. Kristen Wright, NPR News. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 71 points at 33,200. You're listening to NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations 
Other contributors include Fidelity Investments. A dedicated advisor can help create a wealth plan for a full financial picture. More at fidelity.com wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Around Minnesota right now, skies are partly to mostly cloudy. It's chilly. Highs today, 0 to 10 above 0 in the north and west, 15 to 25 degrees in the east and south. It's snowing in Rochester and it's 20. It's partly sunny and 11 below in Moorhead. And outside Artie's Bait and Tackle in Ortonville, Minnesota, it's sunny and 7 above. I'm Kathy Worzer with Minnesota News Headlines. Road conditions are deteriorating in parts of southwestern Minnesota at this hour. MnDOT and the State Patrol say to stay off of Highway 14 and state highways south of Highway 14 in Lincoln, Lyon, Redwood, Pipestone, and Murray counties. No travel is now advised on all state highways in Nobles and Rock counties as well because of whiteout conditions. About half the flights at the Twin Cities International Airport have been canceled today because of the weather. Forecasters say an additional foot or more of snow could fall on the Twin Cities through tomorrow. Runways, taxiways, and roads around the airport have remained open, although airport spokesperson Jeff Lee says traffic has been light. He says airlines will probably make another round of flight cancellations this afternoon. The cancellations are fluid. They'll change throughout the day. Uh, As we get closer to the second round of the storm, airlines will probably put in more cancellations, again, trying to minimize the impact to their operations and to make sure that they can recover better on the back end of the storm sometime Thursday. The airport has more than 150 personnel working at snow removal and other maintenance. Lee says MSP will have extra staff on duty through Saturday. If you're hoping for more snow, don't worry, it's coming. We're in the middle of two storms, and the next one is shaping up to be a doozy. Details right now with Chief Meteorologist Paul Hutner. Hey, Paul. Hey, Z. Round one, all the way through, just getting ready for the big wave. I can see why people are looking out the window saying, what? What's the deal? It's sunny. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But yeah, this there is a second wave coming. Yeah, there is. And that will be the bigger part of the storm. This was just the appetizer, the easier part. Now the lull, the main event comes later this afternoon through tonight through Thursday morning. Kathy, here are some snowfall totals from the first wave. Twin Cities area, White Bear Lake, low end, 3.7 inches. Twin Cities Airport, 4.1. Arden Hills, Circle Pines, 4. St. Cloud, 4. Hudson had 5. Hopkins, 5.2. You get down to Lakeville, 5.5. Wilmer had that as well. Lake City and Rochester, six inches of snow. Chanhassen, 6.5. That's the highest in the Twin Cities so far. And Wasika, Edgerton, and Slayton had around seven inches overnight. You know, I was just on the weather radar, and I'm seeing this next batch of what looks like significant snow kind of organizing over southern Minnesota. Is that what we're going to be seeing in the Twin Cities soon? It is. That's the leading edge of the main wave, the second wave of this low pressure system. And it'll work north as we go through the early afternoon hours here. So I'm seeing that snow to Pipestone, Wyndham, right along the I-90 corridor, Fairmont, uh, Blue Earth, Albert Lee, all the way into Rochester, now up to about Wabasha. Twin Cities, I think it'll make it in here around 3 o'clock this afternoon. And then the heaviest waves of snow come in tonight and tomorrow morning, and it comes with wind. We're going to see some of these snowbursts overnight. I think between about 10 p.m. and 7 a.m. will be the heaviest part of the storm. We'll get some of those bursts of one to three inches per hour. So it's going to come down hard for several hours. That means another nine to 15 inches of snow, additional snow, nine to 15 inches for most areas 
of southern Minnesota up into central Minnesota. Kathy, that'll put our storm totals uh, between about 13 and 20 inches, I think, in most areas, maybe a couple spots over 20 inches on the high end. And just a reminder, if we get to 15 inches in the Twin Cities, that's a top 15 storm. Remember, we just had 15 inches back on January 2nd through the 5th. Uh, and if we get to 20, that would be a number three. I don't know if we'll get there, uh, but it'll be close. I'm wondering, uh, by the way, how folks do measure snowfall, because it can be kind of tricky, especially with the winds. It is. And, you know, there's actually a technique for this uh, developed in part by Pete Boulay, who works out <laughs> at the Minnesota uh, state climate office. They call it a boule board, Kathy, in the trade. It's a uh, plastic board, kind of a square. Put it on the ground, and what you do is you want to measure snowfall in multiple spots. You don't just stick it in the high spot or the low spot. You take an average of several areas, and what the Weather Service does is they sweep that snow away. They're typically measuring every six hours because if you just let it pile up, it will compress, so you might get a total that's less than what actually fell. So there's kind of a little art to, uh, to measuring snow, it turns out. Let's talk about uh, the winds and the blizzard warnings. Um, some of those MnDOT traffic cameras out west, look it looks it's pretty substantial when it comes to the winds. Um, how would you characterize what's coming in? Well, it's it's worse. It's going to be much worse tonight for wind and snow. Tonight, through the nighttime hours, through Thursday morning, Tomorrow's rush hour looks absolutely abysmal in the Twin Cities in southern Minnesota. And yeah, blizzard warnings kick in. So noon today for till noon Thursday for most areas, including the southwest collar counties of the Twin Cities. So this is going to be a full-blown blizzard. Uh, the worst of the storm is still ahead. Uh, just, just can't emphasize that enough. We saw this lull coming, but here comes the uh, stronger part of the storm as we head through tonight. So what can we expect through the weekend behind this system? Yeah, it's going to warm up a little. So, very cold Friday, but then we're back into the 20s, Saturday, 30s, it looks like this weekend. We could have 40 degrees with a little rain oh, on Monday. What? Interesting to note, Kathy, that the temperature contrast across this storm, it was 30 below near Lake Winnipeg last night. It's 70 in St. Louis today, so we've got 100 degrees of contrast to drive that storm. <clears throat> and just one other note, the spring leaf out is happening in New York City. It's the earliest ever on record. Much of the South Central U.S., one of the earliest leaf outs in 40 years. So it is spring, about almost as far as up to St. Louis. Hard to believe that here in Minnesota, but it's been a very, very interesting pattern so far this February. You say interesting, I say weird. All right, Paul Hutner, <laughs> I appreciate it. I know you're going to be busy later this afternoon into the evening hours. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Kathy. That's our meteorologist, Paul Hutner. By the way, you can follow the storm by going to nprnews.org. You may have missed this amid all the storm coverage, but the Minnesota Senate debated late last night into the wee hours of this morning. And when all was said and done, they passed a pair of bills, one that would grant felons voting rights. Another lets people get driver's licenses regardless of their immigration status. Our reporter Dana Ferguson was up late at the Capitol for the votes. She joins us right now to talk about all of them. Hey, Dana, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me on, Kathy. So for folks not familiar, let's run down these bills. What would they do? Sure. Well, the first would restore the right to vote to people convicted of a felony after they complete their time behind bars. Right now, those individuals have to wait to vote until their entire sentence is complete. So that can take years as they serve probation or parole. 
It marks the biggest change to the state's voter eligibility laws in half a century, and supporters estimate that about 50,000 people in Minnesota could be impacted by the change. And the second bill would allow people in the country without proper authorization to apply for driver's licenses and state IDs. That was allowed up until 2003, but was changed under the Pawlenty administration. Mm -hmm. So these were long and pretty intense debates on each of the bills. Describe the scene at the Capitol. Yeah, throughout the day, people were in the rotunda and near the chambers, raising signs, cheering, and urging lawmakers to act. Even as the snow really started coming down later in the evening, hundreds watched the debate from outside the Senate chamber, and the groups were a vocal presence during the debates, particularly as the Senate considered the driver's license bill. Folks could be heard cheering and yelling out when they agreed with a senator or when they disapproved of their comments. Here's a little bit of what it sounded like as legislators entered the chamber. So inside the chamber, Dana, what did you hear from lawmakers about the voting bill? DFL lawmakers and one Republican, Senator Jim Abler of Anoka, supported the bill and said it's important to restore voting rights once people are released back into the community. They said that granting these individuals the right to vote once they're out of prison would help them to feel involved in their communities and make them less likely to reoffend. GOP lawmakers, meanwhile, raised concerns about letting those who've been convicted of violent offenses get their voting rights restored early, and they proposed additional requirements before some convicted felons could get the right to vote back. Ultimately, the Senate voted 35 to 30 to pass the bill, and it heads now to the governor for a signature. And will Governor Wall sign it? He will. He said that he supports it. Um, The Senate was essentially the last hurdle that the bill needed to clear. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about the driver's license bill. What did senators have to say about that bill? Yeah. DFL lawmakers said the change was overdue and that the state should restore the option for those in the country without legal authorization to get IDs and driver's licenses. More than anything, they said it would improve safety on Minnesota roadways and restore dignity for immigrant communities. They cited support from police agencies, faith leaders, business and agriculture groups, labor unions, and others that had pressed for the change. And they frequently pointed to the hundreds of people out in the rotunda that were hoping the bill would pass this year. The thought is that if people have driver's licenses, they'll buy insurance and they will pass written and behind the wheel tests. So they'll be better drivers. Opponents, meanwhile, said they worried that granting these licenses could encourage additional immigrants to come to the country without authorization. And they sought to add some kind of markings on the ID cards that made it clear that the holders were not U.S. citizens. And that amendment was defeated, right? Yes, it was. Uh, Republicans raised those concerns, but ultimately they weren't accepted. Um, The debate got a little contentious, and there were some concerns about terrorism. Is that right? That is right. Republicans raised concerns about how the new licenses would interact with the federal Real ID program implementation, and they had concerns about unauthorized people coming to Minnesota, obtaining a license, 
and then using it to board a plane or go to another state and engage in wrongdoing. Some of it reflected back to the original arguments for changing the policy back in 2003 in the wake of the September 11th attacks. Uh, but Democrats pushed back on those comments, saying that they were offensive and that there is a risk of U.S. citizens committing violent acts, too. And statistically, that domestic terrorism is a greater threat. And this bill is also heading to the governor's desk. That it is. Yep. And Governor Walls says he plans to sign it, too. So that was a lot to go on last night uh, as this storm was just starting to take aim at the region. So legislative leaders, have they canceled action the rest of the week? They have. Yeah, they said yesterday that they were worried about the impending storm and have postponed all committee and floor work until next week. So they will resume on Monday, and that's when we'll get an update on Minnesota's budget forecast, too. All right. Dana Ferguson, thanks for staying up late. We appreciate your time here this afternoon, too. You're welcome, Kathy. That's NPR News politics reporter Dana Ferguson. We're here, baby. Our ancestors' wildest dreams. We were each called to this place, this time and this season. You may not yet know the rhyme or the reason. You may not feel, think, or believe in the same things I believe in. But we've been asked to show up. Show up from wherever you are from. You can come here to be free. Bring your full self. This is our Minnesota Music Minute for today. This is artist Joe Davis. The song started as a poem called Show Up, but then Joe collaborated with local musicians to create different musical versions of the song. Gospel, rock, acoustic, and this is the hip-hop version of Show Up. Joe Davis is coming up in just a moment. you, there is no we. I need you not just to survive, but to thrive. To come fully awake and alive with potential and possibility. I need you to show up. You may be hurting or afraid. Show up or gather healing on the way. Show up, we will be strong, we will be brave. Show up, dream of the world we will create. As a matter of fact, Minneapolis-based artist, speaker, and educator Joe Davis is with us right now. He's showing up. He's having a breakout year. He tours nationally. He's about to release his second book of poetry. He's got a concert at Orchestra Hall coming up this weekend. And he just took home his prestigious award for his work with youth. And Joe's on the line. Hey, congratulations. How are you? Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm stupendous. Stupendous. Good. So grateful to be here. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. You've been working hard as an artist and educator for so many years. And now, Joe, the universe has opened up to you and you've really taken off. What shifted? Hmm. I don't know, to be honest. I just try to be consistent, try to be uh, intentional. Um, you know, I really believe in trying to squash that artist myth, you know, the myth of the starving artist. I believe in the abundant artist or the flourishing artist. And I, I try to create that space not only for myself, but for everyone else. And I really think that that spirit of collectivism and collaboration and just learning and and growing with other folks have really contributed to what I'm able to experience now. How do you sustain life as an artist? It's tough. I mean, obviously there are financial considerations, but, but also the creative spark that you gotta, you gotta keep feeding. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been twofold. Like one way has been kind of training my creative brain to always find inspiration throughout my life. Like 
just my experiences, my relationships, just everything, everything, everything that I, I consume is feeding my soul and feeding my creativity. And then secondly, it's definitely the work I do with youth because every single time I step foot in in a space where there's there's youth, I leave more filled and more inspired than when I came. Like I get hired to teach them, but I feel like they're teaching me. And so I think that's a big part of uh, you know, how I've I've like just cultivated so much joy and beauty in my work is is working with youth. Mm, I love that. Be curious, playful, joyful, exploratory. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get started? For folks who are not familiar with your work, how did you get started? Did, what was the calling for this work? Yeah, so it started from when I was a little kid. I was already one of those spirited children where you know I had a big imagination. I was always getting into mischief, uh, really playful and curious. And then uh, a shift happened when I was in elementary school actually got really sick. I, I was so sick that I actually passed out on the bathroom floor, was rushed to the emergency room. And then for several years, um, I was plagued with illness. And during that time, I reached for the nearest thing I had, which was you know, my pen and my notebook. And I could pour my heart and my soul into my writings. And I just created poems and stories and songs. And I didn't realize this at the time, but in retrospect, looking back, I see how art helped save my life, how it helped me gain like this deeper sense of self, this deeper sense of connection and healing and able to process uh, some really tough things. And so at first I thought it was it was just about me and, and kind of like this, this healing journey that I was on. And then I had, you know, teachers and mentors and influential people in my life who said, you know what, this is beautiful. This is powerful. You should share this. And it took a while because I was nervous. You know, I didn't want to share my innermost vulnerable feelings with other people. I didn't know how they would respond. But once I did finally start coming out of my shell and sharing, I realized that other people were also on their healing journeys and that what I had to offer could, you know, encourage and inspire and motivate them. And they would they would in turn offer me things that would help me on my healing journey. And so I developed this kind of communal sense of what art can create for us. Art is this this powerful catalyst for transformation and for opening up our hearts and our minds to new possibilities. And and that's that's when it became a calling for me when I was awakened to that um, with other people throughout my life. That's quite a story. And aren't we all just walking each other home in terms of our healing journeys in a way when you think about it? Mm. Um, so. Yeah. With your background, uh, a lot of this came to the fore publicly with your first book of poetry, which was released, uh, gosh, just last year, February of 2022. It's called yeah. We Rise Higher. Um, what is that about? It's, you've got some beautiful poems and prayers in there. Yes. So, so for me, this is really like a collective of poems and prayers and practices for people going through different transitions in life different chapters and phases and seasons. And for me, it's always helpful to come back to this rhythm of, of you know, practices or prayers or something in our lives that can keep us grounded and centered. And so that's what I wanted to offer folks um, through these poems. And so it kind of touches on different seasons in our lives, like seasons where we may be experiencing a time of joy and celebration, but also seasons in our life where we may be experiencing, you know, sorrow and grief and having to, to work through and release those emotions. So I wanted to offer people poems that can help guide them through those times in my life, because that's what's always been a solace and a refuge for me. And uh, hopefully it can be that for other people as well. 
Now you have a second book of poetry just coming out. It's called Remind Me Again, Poems and Practices for Remembering Who We Are. And I know people have been pre-ordering it already on Amazon. Um, it comes out April 3rd, I understand. And you have a selection that you can share with us today. I'd be honored if you would, please. Can you tell us about it and read a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm actually super, super, super excited for this particular release of poetry because, um, I mean, the first one was was such a joy, but this one is even because after having gone through the process, I I learned what I could do even better and how I can offer something that I feel is is even more deeply impactful. And uh, th- this book is meant to be uh, a source and a resource for people to come back to that that wellspring of well being. And this particular poem that I want to share is called Love Always. And uh, I wrote it with the intention of people to enter into the poem from multiple perspectives. They can can experience this poem from the perspective of a love letter from like their higher power, from from God, or, or they can see it as a love letter from that significant other. Or what I've been needing most recently is to see it as a love letter from my body to myself. Mm. And so however you need to experience this poem, I invite you into that. Um, It's called Love Always. It's the type of love that I want to cultivate more of in my life and in our world together. Love Always. I love you. I love you at your best. I love you at your worst. I love you in a dress or sweatpants and t-shirt. I love you when you gain weight. I love you when you stay in shape. I love everything about you that you love and even everything you say you hate. (laughs) I love you. I love you when you wake up. I love you without makeup. I love you any time of day in any way because I mean it when I say love. I love you. I love you from start to finish, from head to toe. I love you every spot, wrinkle, and blemish, every freckle and mole. I love both your dimples and your pimples, (laughs) your mind, body, spirit, and soul. I will love you before and after the here and now, and I'm here to let you know I love you. I love the way you walk, you talk, you smile, you laugh, you sing. I could cut this poem in half and say I love you everything. Because if you ever think that you're not loved, that just isn't so. No matter what, my love for you is unconditional. I will love you forever and a day, and today is the day I will forever say I will love you just the same when your hair turns dusty gray. I will love you just because I love you always. Nice. Oh, Joe, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that. That was an honor. Um, I don't want to let you go without really quickly talking about the concert coming up here with uh, my friend uh, Philip Schultz, who I love, Vocal Essence. Uh, tell me a little bit about, is this uh, the birthday concert that you were talking about last November? Well, yeah. So I had a birthday concert every year for my birthday since since my 30th birthday. I was like, hey, I want to do something big. And so I started doing uh, these concert series. And so my most recent birthday last November, I invited Vocal Essence to perform with me. Uh-huh. And it was absolutely phenomenal. We shut the house down. like <laughs> Everybody was vibing and just just having such a beautiful time. And we're like, hey, we got to do this again. And so this time we're collaborating at even a, a higher level where we're doing more songs, bigger choir. We, it's not just the youth choir, but the adult choir is coming as well. 
And so we're doing some of my songs. My full band is invited as well. We're going to have, you know, horns and violin and all the instrumentation. And it's definitely an experience you're not going to want to miss. So I'm super looking forward to it. All right. This is this Saturday, February 26th at Orchestra Hall. Uh, Sunday, Sunday. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, no, it's all good. (laughs) Sunday, 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 February 26th, Orchestra Hall in Minneapolis. I am a huge fan, Joe. Thank you for being on the program. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Such an honor and a joy. We've been talking to Minneapolis-based artist, speaker, and educator Joe Davis. Support comes from Delta Dental of Minnesota Foundation, improving oral health while advancing social equities by expanding access to dental care and investing in the communities across Minnesota. DeltaDentalMN.org slash MPR. Time for news with Emily Reese. Emily? President Joe Biden says Russian President Vladimir Putin made a big mistake by suspending his country's participation in the last remaining U.S.-Russia nuclear arms control treaty. In his first comments since Putin's announcement Tuesday, Biden condemned the Russian decision to pull back from the treaty known as New Start. Biden spoke today in Warsaw as he was wrapping up his four-day visit to Poland and Ukraine. Several British supermarket chains have limited the amount of some fresh fruits and vegetables that customers can buy amid shortages blamed on bad weather. Tesco, the UK's largest grocery chain, said today it would temporarily limit customers to buying three items each of tomatoes, peppers and cucumbers, follows similar moves by chains Aldi and Morrisons. The empty shelves have become a political issue with opponents of Britain's decision to leave the EU blaming Brexit for the shortages. But industry figures said the main culprit was bad weather, hurting crop yields in Spain and Morocco. And brutal weather, winter weather is hammering the U.S. with whiteout white snow, dangerous wind gusts, and bitter cold in the north. In the southwest, wind gusts, snow, and rain forced the closure of a long stretch of interstate highway. Meanwhile, many places in the mid-Atlantic down to Florida are expected to see record high temperatures, in some cases 40 degrees above normal. Astronomers have discovered what appear to be massive galaxies dating back to within 600 million years of the Big Bang. The findings suggest the early universe may have had a stellar fast track that produced these monster galaxies. While the new James Webb Space Telescope has spotted even older galaxies during its first year of work, it's the size and maturity of these six apparent mega-galaxies that stun scientists. That's because they expected to find little baby galaxies so close to the dawn of the universe, not these whoppers. They reported their findings today. More news coming up on NPR News. It's 1230. Thanks, Emily. By one count, nearly 40 school districts in Minnesota have canceled school or gone to e-learning today. And more could join them as we get more information about this wallop of a storm. Weather is a science, but calling a snow day, well, that might be more of an art. You're kind of darned if you do and darned if you don't. Kent Pekel knows that from experience. He's a superintendent of Rochester Public Schools, which, by the way, is closed today. He's with us right now. Welcome, Mr. Superintendent. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be back here. All right. Uh, so walk us through the process. I think knowing you, you're up pretty early, probably looking at uh, weather radar and the weather forecast and that kind of thing. What do you do? We uh, we have a great transportation coordinator, a guy named Jeff Cappers. He's been doing it for years, and he and I talk between 4 and 4.30, and we look at the National Weather Service in La Crosse, and we actually call and f- actually talk to him as well, and we try and make sure we've made the call by 5. Yesterday, we made it in the evening because it seemed pretty clear that today was very unlikely to change. 
Uh, one time earlier this year, however, I tried to get way ahead of it to give people more advance notice. And then uh, it was sunshiny and nothing really happened. And so I actually went out and made sort of a tongue in cheek video pretending it was uh, the worst snowmageddon ever. And it actually kind of went viral with like 85,000 views or something. And so I think it's just indicative of the fact that people in the end understand that it's a judgment call and sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're looking at obviously road conditions and ice and that kind of thing too. Do what other districts do impact what you do in southeastern Minnesota? You know, I I, I have to say we're all human, and so yes. Do, do the, the does the superintendent in Austin and test start texting me? Yes, absolutely. And you know, Owatonna and Northfield, and then the smaller districts around us, of course, are closer, but they're quite different. Rochester is actually about 220 square miles, and so we have very urban routes, but we also have some routes that are genuinely rural, and the whole system is interconnected, and so we can't quite base it on exactly how anybody else is seeing the storm, um, but we certainly do look at those things. And there really are two criteria. One is visibility, and then the second is road conditions. And and then it's always a question as what's going to happen to those as the day goes on. And that's kind of where the judgment call comes in. I know students, I'm, well, I understand that students sometimes just try to sway your decision. Uh, you posted on your Twitter account some of the funny emails you've gotten. I have. I got one of my favorite uh, yesterday from a student at Century High School, Fahad, and he is in AP Shakespeare. And so he wrote me the uh, the request. Um, it's sort of in the Shakespearean <laughs> language. I, I desire thou art staying warm in these harsh, piercing conditions of the atmosphere. As thee knoweth, the weather is frail tomorrow. In our AP Lit class, we art reading Hamlet by the great Shakespeare. Please, kind sir, for our sake, can thee calleth off school during the present day to know if it be true. For I shall bring my belongings home if the prophecy rings true with great pleasure, kind sir, Fahad. So Fahad got what he wanted, but it wasn't because of his uh, uh, Shakespeare. It was because of the weather. But yeah, I've gotten, it's kind of become a little thing here in Rochester and we just have such great students and they're so creative. And some fifth graders wrote me some in uh, their handwritten version yesterday too that were just as heartfelt. And sometimes they have to do with their dog needing to spend time with them during the day or just worried about their teachers being stressed. And so mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of a fun thing that has uh, has become a little bit of a tradition in the year and a half that I've been here. On the flip side of those very sweet and heartfelt notes, you probably get uh, some harsher communication from maybe those who are older, older adults, perhaps, who are not happy with your decision? You know, it is, first of all, it is, it is tough. It's a day lost of learning. We do not right now in Rochester do e-learning on snow days. We, we could talk about that. But I, I think actually snow days kind of bring out the best in us and sometimes the worst in us. Um, I will say there's a, 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 a administrative assistant who sits outside my office. And sometimes when I hear what people who don't like my snow days decision call and say to her, I think um, she didn't make the call and, um, you know, life's too short to get that upset about anything. Um, On the flip side, we have a new middle school out on the far reaches of town on the top of a hill. And the first day, we had a snow day this year, just candidly, we didn't know how hard it was going to be for people to get up that hill. And I will tell you, the whole staff went out there and they pushed the cars up and it was just incredible um, what happened. Um, And from that point on, we have sanded and salted that hill um, every night. But the first uh, snowstorm, we just saw that school community literally rise up and help everybody up that hill. 
So I'm a little surprised that you don't do e-learning yet. What's going on? We spent a lot of time with our uh, Rochester Education Association, our teachers union, talking about that during our negotiations. Snow days are a negotiated thing, not just with them, but with some of our other bargaining units, because you just have to be clear who has to work, who gets paid. And we didn't uh, do it for two reasons. One, when you're really doing high quality teaching and learning, it's a progression. And so whether you're teaching place value or topic sentences or the War of 1812, you know, your Wednesday goes into your Thursday, goes into your Friday. And to ask a teacher to adapt that on the drop of a, at the drop of a hat, because, you know, you don't see snow days coming a week in advance is, is really, really tough. Um, and then there's a logistical reason too. Our middle and high school students take their, their Chromebooks or their iPads home every night, but our elementary students in general do not. So again, you need to be able to look ahead. And we know a lot of our students uh, don't have those devices unless they take their school device home. So for us right now, it's it's an old-fashioned snow day, but we know a lot of districts are doing the e-learning, and we're going to be in dialogue with them and, and trying to really watch uh, what uh, that experience is like. We know during the pandemic that we all had to do it, and right now we've made the decision to hold back on that, but um, we're obviously going to keep thinking about it um, in the years ahead. Okay. Well, thank you for for letting us see a little bit behind the curtain here, Superintendent. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the interest. It's obviously, I think it, I don't know if it's art or science, but I would hope people just remember we're all trying to make the best decision we can on short notice with limited information and you get some right and sometimes you get them wrong. All right. Thank you. And take care, by the way, in the snow. Thank you very much. Kent Piquel is Superintendent of Rochester Public Schools. With all the attention over the weather, you might not have heard that Governor Tim Walz has declared today, February 22nd, School Bus Driver Appreciation Day in the state of Minnesota. Today is a snow day for many drivers, but usually these men and women are out there driving 682,000 students to and from school on country and city roads through rain and snow, early mornings and even late nights. Today we're going to get to know one local school bus driver. Jason Brumwell is a school bus driver and a small business owner in Red Lake Falls, Minnesota. He's on the line. Hey, Jason. Hi, Kathy. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. By the way, happy School Bus Driver Appreciation Day to you. Thank you very much. I, I, I think uh, our office uh, uh, manager there was the only other person, I think, that mentioned it today. So that was fantastic. She's pretty <laughs> awesome, though, too. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I know that uh, you have a family business. You have a tubing and camping operation in Red Lake Falls. But I understand school bus driving is also a family affair. It, yeah, it's, it's kind of turned out that way. I think, you know, with, with our operation, we, we run buses to uh, transport people uh, uh, to and from the river. Um, so the, um, the transportation director kind of had an in. He knew that we had our bus driver license and our dad used to drive. Um, mainly for the same reason. He had his license for the business and uh, in the winter months, he didn't have anything else going on. He had retired. So um, they convinced him to drive and, and he did it for a number of years um, just after we got out of high school. And then uh, when we came back to take over the family business um, is with anywhere, I think right now there's a, a shortage of drivers. So the transportation director used to be our, our uh, basketball coach and uh, he showed up one day and convinced my both my brother and myself to, to uh, join the team and start driving a little bit for the school. Did you have any hesitancy at first? Um, I don't know. Like uh, I, I had driven, I think one trip when I was in college for him, and he got in kind of uh, in a desperation mode. 
Um, and I think I had a little hesitation then, but after I drove, drove that time, I'm just like, ah, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. You know, it's, it's one thing we, we have about a half mile trek from our facility to where we drop people off to go on the river for tubing. And I'm just like, ah, oh, it's a pretty big vehicle to head down the highway with and everything, you know? So, uh, but, but, uh, after that first trip, I'm just like, this is a lot easier than, than I ever imagined. And, uh, and the kids were a lot better than, than once again, I, I would ever have imagined as well. So maybe I was putting my, my own self in those seats, uh, uh, my attitude when I was in, in high school, but uh, they're definitely better than I ever was. Well, that's what I, <laughs> I bet you weren't that bad. But no, I'm, no, maybe not. <laughs> but I'm wondering, you know, you see like on movies and TV shows and that kind of thing that buses look like this chaotic mess, you know, it, but that's not the case. I mean, the kids are pretty well behaved. You know, I mean, there's days, they're, they're, they're kids, right? I mean, uh, for the most part, whatever what we transport uh, in, in the outskirts out here, whatever uh, our are probably I would say like ninth grade down to preschool, um, and we have a wide variety of kids on that bus. It could be anywhere, kids from ninth grade all the way down to to preschool. So, so you get uh, some kids who they've just spent you know six and a half seven hours in in a building all day, especially in Minnesota where it gets so cold, they don't get to go outside for recess occasionally too. Um, but, uh, they're, they're just wired. They're, they're kids. So, uh, you could usually get them settled down pretty fast. And, and especially on, on days like you guys are experiencing snow days down there right now. Uh, they're, they're usually a little bit even better. They're, they're pretty good. They understand like that. It is pretty stressful to try to keep the bus on the road on days like that. And, and they're, they're really good. And for the most part, I mean, we, we run the same route daily. So you get to know the kids pretty much like they're, you know, little, little cousins, little, little kids, uh, whatever nephews and nieces. So, so you develop such a good relationship with them that, uh, once you break out the stern voice, they, they know it's time to, to sit down and be good. So say, <laughs> <laughs> so because there is the school bus driver shortage, uh, and I'm sure you're experiencing that in your neck of the woods. Um, it, what do you think's keeping folks from driving bus? I'm sure a lot of it is a, I mean, you hear everybody talk about kids these days and stuff like that or whatever, you know, but, but they're no worse than any other generation. If, if anything, it's, it's parents these days would be my guess. You know, if, uh, if the kids aren't being held responsible at home, then they're not being held responsible at school or it's harder to keep them held responsible at least. Uh, but I'm not I'm not seeing that on my my buses and stuff. I think all of our our kids uh, we we have a small community. Red Lake Falls is about 1,400 people, and we have we have really fantastic kids around here. Good parents, uh, and I'm sure like most small communities can say the same thing. You have some outliers, of course, but uh, but for the most part, the kids are fantastic, and I think people are just either they're they're nervous about about driving because they think that kids are bad or worse than than they imagine, maybe even. Um, or, or they're just, there's so much work to be had right now too. You know, I mean, um, you're not going to be rich driving school bus by any means, you know, but, uh, um, and, and that could be an issue. Maybe, maybe they need to increase the rates for it. Um, but, uh, but in our area alone, we have like DigiKey Corporation, we have Articat, we have Altos who are our three major employers who are offering sign-on bonuses is between two and four thousand dollars right now um so so to try to convince people to come and drive school bus with the possibility of screaming kids running behind you uh, or going to work to, at one of those facilities it's, it's a little bit tougher um uh, almost uh, i think every one of our our bus drivers in our district 
all are college edu- educated and wear multiple hats. Our uh, one of one of the guys is our full time mechanic. Um, another one is uh, uh, the tech guy for the high school and the elementary school here. Um, we have the physical education teacher who's also our bus transportation director, and then he drives wow. the route. Uh, oh. My brother is the special ed teacher at the elementary school and drives the route. Um, I have a business degree, and, and uh, we run a couple of businesses in town as, as well as I, I run the, the tamp room, which is like a homework help um, at the high school. Uh, and, and then our sub substitute teachers are the English teacher at the high school. And, uh, I think the third grade teacher at, at the elementary. So wow. we don't have a huge staff, but we, we all, all do multiple things for the school. And I think that's just small towns as well, but. Which is kind of their charm too. So it sounds yeah, like the kids right. are what keep you going. Jason, I've run out of time. Yeah. Thank you for what you do every day. I know it's not easy, but thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you for for recognizing bus drivers today. Absolutely. Jason Brumwell is a school bus driver, small business owner in Red Lake Falls, Minnesota. Twelve forty nine here on Minnesota Now from NPR News. I'm Kathy Worzer. How about for the latest installment of our history series, Minnesota Now and Then? I think you're going to love this one. It was forty three years ago today, February twenty second, nineteen eighty, when an American television audience watched in amazement as one of the great upsets in sports occurred during the nineteen eighty Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. The U.S. Olympic men's hockey team, coached by Minnesota legend Herb Brooks with a dozen Minnesota players on the squad, played the best hockey team in the world at the time, the Soviet Union, and they won 4-3. to With the final seconds ticking away, this was the iconic call from ABC's Al Michaels. Billy Lekhanov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. Oh, it was unbelievable. It was called the Miracle on Ice. The USA men's team went on to win the gold medal. Joining us as a member of that storied team, Bill Schneider, known to all as Buzz Schneider, or maybe a native of Babbitt, Minnesota. Mr. Schneider, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Kathy. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. I still get chills when I hear that L. Michaels call, which I know you guys never heard because you were celebrating on the ice as the game ended. Can you still, can you still feel that moment? Oh, oh, certainly. And uh, it's hard to believe, Kathy, that it's been 43 years that, it, that it's happened. But uh, uh, every year it comes up, and uh, uh, we got to know L. Michaels, and he's part of one of us now. He said that really helped out his career, and he certainly helped us too as well. It was a long road to get to that Olympic game, but you had a ton of talent on the team, guys like Neil Broughton, Mike Ramsey, Dave Christian. Uh, They went on to the NHL. You had a heck of a career at the U of M. Why were you guys considered an underdog in that Olympic tournament? Uh, Well, Kathy, we were a seeded seventh because it's basically done on the prior year uh, world championships, and we didn't do uh, very well in the spring of 79, so we got seeded seventh. And uh, our main goal going in was uh, hopefully uh, for a bronze medal. And uh, Herb Brooks was a great coach. And uh, you mentioned some of the guys that uh, played like Neil Broughton, Mike Ramsey. These guys are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. So we had a good team, uh, a lot better team than I think people realized it. But I don't think anybody really knew about us at that time. I know you played for Coach Brooks at the U of M, and he recruited you for the Olympic team. And he was an intense guy. Did he crank it up a notch for the Olympics, though? How was training? Oh, oh yeah. It, well, training was 
But I'll tell you what, the boys from Audis, they, they, they got their eyes opened up. It was tough training. We were probably the best conditioned team in the world at that time, but he really pushed us. And uh, uh, we also took uh, uh, part of the European system where you interchange positions. So we kind of copied the Europeans, yet we played the North American style. And, uh, you know, we figured if we had the puck, they couldn't score. And he had us... Uh, he had us well programmed and well trained, and we bought into his system. And it was a lot of fun to play for him. And it was—we all got along. I'll tell you what, I love all the guys I played with. It was a team effort. Now, not one individual guy. So it was—it was pretty special. Was it clear that you all were going to make the team at first, or was there any issue with? Did you all have to work hard to get on the team? Yeah. Well, we all had to work hard to get on the team. Uh, but Herbie was so thorough. He kind of knew who he kind of wanted on his team before the trials happened out in Colorado Springs. He had films on all the guys. He talked to all the coaches. So basically, he kind of knew. And I mean, we picked a group of 26 in case, you know, uh, the roster was set at 20 in case somebody got hurt or wasn't playing well. So he had a pretty good idea uh, uh, of who he kind of wanted. And his history at the University of Minnesota, you know, proves that he was he's always been a winner. So uh, and I think they respected him, Herbie, playing at two Olympics. So uh, uh, he was the great guy for the job. So you were on the line with Mark Pavlich and John Harrington. All three of you guys were from the Iron Range. And reportedly, your line was referred to as the Conehead line because your style of play was alien. What's that about? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> well, we got to be named that. Uh, uh, we had we had four lines, and they're all great lines. We all had uh, four great centers. And Herbie... We used to work on the power play, but he had our line going down and shooting on the goalies on, on, the, on the other end of the rink all the time. And he had these orange cone setups. We have to go in and the angles and stuff. And Mark Pavlich says, God, we can be doing anything down here. Uh, we just like these cones. So that's how the boys from Minnesota thought it. But the old boys from out east thought these guys were a little bit different, like uh, Saturday Night Live. So that's oh. how we got the names Coneheads. But we played well together. It was an honor to play with those two Iron Range guys. In fact, it was an honor to play with all the special 12 guys from Minnesota. Say, for folks who are younger than you and I, why was the game with the Soviets such a big deal at the time? Can you explain that? Well, yeah, with you know the oil prices back then and a recession and uh, things weren't going well for the United States, uh, you know, we were, we were down. And I, I think uh, this... Uh, after winning, I think it gave our country hope and a positive attitude. And I think it was a lot more than a hockey game. But to us players at the time, it was just a hockey game. We had a chance to play uh, the Russians who were favored, the best team in the world. And to come out with a win was pretty doggone special. When did you think, maybe we can win this? When was that moment in the game? Okay, we were seated seventh. And with the way we looked at it, we figured the Swedes of the probably maybe third. The Czechs were the second best team in the world, and then the Russians. And our first opening game was against the Swedes, which we ended up tying 2-2. Two to two. But we knew that uh, two days later, we ended up playing the Czechs, which is probably our best game of the tournament. Uh, we beat them handily 7-2, to two, and then we knew we were on a ride. But we didn't know which one. Was it going to be silver? Was it going to be gold? But we had a, a, a play every game like it was our last game and even after we beat the Soviets like today our next day was a day off we had a practice and her Brooks came in so you guys haven't won anything yet and because there were sticks lined up on uh, on the tables for us guys to sign there was telegrams and he put the hammer down on us pretty good and when you look at it if we would have not beat the Finns for the gold medal two days later there was a chance we wouldn't even get a medal at all mm. so it was it was it was two weeks of it, pretty intense, but it was fun. 
So it sounds like he didn't let you guys get uh, big heads about this. That's, you got that right. That's, you put that very well. He, he kept us grounded. But he also, uh, a positive in a way, like when we were going to play the Russians, he said, look, guys, they want everything there is to win. They're not changing their shifts. They're kind of a little bit lethargic. They're not on top of their game. So he was setting that carrot up for us right away when the Olympics started. So he, he's always, Ray always did that. He knew how to put the carrot. We always used to chase it. <laughs> By the way, do you still keep in touch with your 1980 teammates, those who are still with us? Oh. Yes, we do. Uh, we have an email chain, and I'll tell you what, nothing's changed in 43 years. Everybody's still dumping on everybody. Nobody can get a big hit. Uh, but we do card signings like three times a year. We do have a fantasy camp out in uh, Lake Placid. Uh, this will be our sixth one this year, at the end of uh, April, beginning of May. And so we stay in touch, and it's gotten to a point where we're almost considered like family now. So maybe just a little gray hair, uh, and oh, maybe yeah. a little heavier. <laughs> Gray hair, heavier, and or no hair. Oh. <laughs> but it, but but it's funny. But it's fun. What a great bunch of guys. And what a, what an amazing thing you did. I mean, you actually made some history. You know. And what what's this day like for you? What's that? Excuse me. Sure. What is this day like for you? The, the yeah, fact it's that this special. is this. this is, yeah, I, and I get uh, I do a couple of more phone uh, uh, interviews today. Uh, every every year it comes up. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's good to remember, and uh, uh, it's good to remember with the guys that I did it with, and it's 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 pretty special. And I think what happened is when they made the movie in two thousand four, that gave the next generation it gave us some more legs. Yeah, that's true. It's a good movie too for anyone who hasn't seen it. Yeah. Miracle on Ice with uh, Kurt yeah. Russell playing uh, Herbie Brooks. Buzz. Yes, and, and my son ended up playing me in the movie, and I tell everybody, I, what I didn't like about it is he made more money than I did. <laughs> I but did say that's, Yeah, they say that's the first time a uh, son's ever played his father in a movie at that time. I don't know what it's like now, Kathy. So. Oh, I like that. I did not know that. Yeah. Buzz Schneider, yeah. really, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome, and thank you, and thanks for, for having me, and I listen to your radio all the time. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Okay. Buzzy Schneider played on the gold medal winning 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team, which, uh, boy, for those who actually saw that game, that was amazing. That was amazing. Say, before we go, we talked to to, uh, school bus drivers. We were talking to uh, the school bus driver from Red Lake Falls, Minnesota. Today's school bus driver appreciation day. Finally, bless the plow drivers, all of them. They're in for some long hours. In some places like Kirkhoven, Minnesota, folks know the plow driver by name. It's Kevin. The city of Kirkhoven on its Facebook page sent out a message to residents that over the next two or three days at various times of the day and night, Kevin, the sole plow driver, will be out clearing the streets. And to please get cars and garbage cans in so Kevin can plow curb to curb. You gotta love small towns where almost everybody knows your name. You all... Take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening to Minnesota Now. Here on NPR News 91.1, KNOW, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Support for Minnesota Now comes from True Stone Financial Credit Union, dedicated to giving back to the community since 1939. Full-service banking is available at 23 locations and online at truestone.org. True Stone is an equal housing opportunity lender insured by NCUA. In the Twin Cities at this hour, skies, I know it's cloudy, it's dry, so has stopped, it's 19 degrees. Do not be lulled into thinking that we're done with the snowstorm. We are not. I'm watching radar.
big smear of snow in far southern Minnesota, and it's making its way up here. It should arrive by about 3 o'clock this afternoon. So we're not out of the soup yet. Winter storm warning in effect until noon tomorrow. Tonight, that's where the bulk of the snow will fall. Rush hour this afternoon will be a mess. Overnight will be treacherous. Tomorrow morning won't be good either. NPRnews.org for details.